This is an audio recording of an award lecture presented at the 2022 Annual Meeting of the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. So I think I should stop there because I cannot live up to that and you're all about to be let down. Uh, and I videotaped that for my mom. <laughs> so, wow, I mean, this is overwhelming. So many people, and a lot of you are just hoping I get done quickly so we can find out who won the awards for the posters, right? No, I get that, we're awesome. Let's have a good time. So it is all about the students, and I wanna thank some people. First, the students who are here, right? If you're here and you heard me talk to you yesterday, you're a small fraction of this big meeting, but you're our future and you're important. And the fact that you know so many people paid attention to you all day yesterday tells you how much we believe in you. And if you're a faculty here who mentored a student, brought them here, tore your hair out uh, trying to get their posters printed, raise your hands. Now students, thank them. Because really, that's what this is about, right? This is all about the students. And I, I, when, I, when I got the award, it was amazing. And I thought, what am I going to call this? They're asking for a title. I don't even, I finished the slides last night. So, you know, two months ago, they asked for a title, right? For something that I wasn't ready for. And then I was talking to somebody we were interviewing for a job, and, and we asked about his motivation. He said, it's all about the students. And I went, OK, stop. i got to write that down. Because that's exactly it. Now, everything we do. It's, it's about the students, that's our career, whether it's teaching or research, and I think it's really amazing. And then it's, it's wonderful that people took their time to add and lie for the introduction, thank you Pam, um, and to the folks who helped to support Barbara, who couldn't be here because her dog ran her over on the beach, and she's not able to come here, but otherwise she would be here, wish her well. Um, it's a great dog, she still loves it, it's with us. Uh, Ellis Bell, um, Ellis has been a mentor, uh, and honestly, I think the reason I'm here at my university on this stage, um, once, once upon a time he sent an email out to a ton of people said, hey, who wants to be part of some undergraduate affiliate network, right? And I went, sure, I'll do it. I had no idea that I was about to be dipped deep into the educational pool. Ellis brought so many people from PCAL into ASPNB and built this. I owe almost everything to him. I can't say everything because there's a guy named Mark Wallert that couldn't be here today who has been my colleague, uh, my friend, um, and just somebody who's helped do research and mentoring and everything along the way. I, I have to say thanks to everybody. Um, and again, the students and the faculty because it's really important. But there's one person that needs all my support because she puts up with my absolute craziness, my wife. We dated her freshman year, my sophomore year in college. We got married her fourth year, my fifth year in college. I told her I was going to be a doctor, but I just didn't tell her what kind. And, you know, we're still together. That's was, we started dating in 1984, right? And uh, I told her we were going to go great places. Um, we started off as more of the karate kid with Chachi over there. And through the pandemic, it was Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic. <laughs> I told her she would take this picture. I would shave off the Fu Manchu, which she absolutely hated. So a little bit about myself. Um, 
The picture on uh, your left is my mother and all my aunts and uncles on my mom's side. Catholic dairy farmers, um, 18 kids, all single births. Grandma didn't start until she was 20. And from that family, I have over 120 cous first cousins. And there's only a handful of us that went to college. Mom left home when she was 16, met my dad, who is somewhere in the picture to the right as a choir boy, but in high school he was asked by a particular law enforcement person to go into the army or go behind bars. So he joined the army and after he got out he met my mom. So I came from as a first generation student all the way, right? And the fact that we're here is why I had to videotape that lecture because or that introduction because there's no way mom would believe that I'm up here with all those nice things. So it's 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 amazing. So when we talk about access to things, when we talk about why I do things for the students, I think it's because the idea that for somebody who either should be working construction on a factory, my dad's um, uh, old job where I was uh, working printing, making Cheerios boxes, or maybe on the farm, and, and working with students in the classroom is, is really kind of something that's important. And then how I got here, well, I had to pay for college myself, so I did it by hiding in the woods behind big tanks in the army. You know, so you have to sometimes make your own way. And it has influenced me in a, in a lot of ways. It ask my students so when they get mad, Captain Provost comes out. But it really is all about the students. I love the picture on the, on the left, you know, in San Diego uh, with a bunch of students a couple years ago from Bemidji State, where my colleagues are. And I think there's a, is there a couple of Bemidji State uh, beavers out here now? Thank you. Go Beavers. Uh, and then uh, from a couple of years ago, we always get um, t-shirts and stuff. So if you think about education, especially, you know, my journey is about undergraduate education. It's very different for community colleges. I've helped folks do that at R1s, um, regional comprehensive. But as a PY, the fastest part of the day is when you're in class when you're going through something, when you're trying to get the students to think about things, when you look at their confused faces and then something turns, right? That's the fastest time. It used to not be that way. When you first start teaching, that's the slowest time. And you get done and there's 20 minutes left and you don't have any more overheads, right? But now it's the best time of the day. It's the fastest time of the day. And the other part of this, the summer goes so fast because we're with the students now in the lab. They're working, they've got they're going back and forth. It's, it's just the funnest thing. So when you think about, when I think about what's the students, it's about having that, a chance to be in the classroom. And when that isn't going well, to be in the lab with the students and coming up with some really cool science. And it's, it's that beautiful balance as a PY faculty that really drives uh, me in a lot of ways. Uh, and this is not a research talk, but we do teach by bringing students into the research lab and giving them opportunities. I've had a lot of undergraduates go through my lab, and the average is about four and a half uh, semesters that they've spent in the lab of that 180 some odd students, um, and then a bunch of high school students and uh, um, teachers as well. So one of the projects we've been doing for a long time is looking at how the sodium hydrogen exchanger is involved in lung cancer uh, progression, migration, invasion. We've switched the last few years because one of my undergraduates is now in a, a research professor at the Mayo Clinic said, this kind of looks like fibrosis and we started digging into this. And so we're finding that, that um, and some of this data was presented here, is that like cancer, NHE seems not to be involved in causing but at least propagating and maybe is a target 
to retreat back from some of the scarring that we see in, in lung fibrosis and even some of the cytokines that are, are happening in the COVID storm. So these students are doing this work. And every time I turn in an NIH grant, I have to convince the, ru ru uh, the reviewers, especially reviewer number two, or is it three? <laughs> Neither one of them. That these students can do this, right? And they do. They really, really do. We have another set of work in the lab where we're working on how uh, its enzyme structure function, how proteins interact, and this you'll see later on is a spin-off or a real big part of what we're doing with this um, cures thing. And this is some really neat data we did with the classes, Ellis, and I taught this the last couple of semesters and our class students did this on their own. I had a couple of posters looking at how and where these proteins touch and how maybe post-translational modification uh, gets into that. And so we're really hoping that can turn into a nice publication. But it's not just about teaching in the research lab, it's teaching in general. Um, teaching non-majors is amazing. As a department chair, you always try to, if you're smart, you try to put your best faculty teaching the Gen Chem so you can support those students. It's really hard to get faculty to teach in the non-majors because they're so busy doing those other things. A few faculty, Jess Bell back here does it and does it well, teaching non-majors in a creative way where we bring food. Carrie, my, one of my author, co-authors of my book is here. She's been doing it for a long time. We teach in Italy. I teach the biochemistry, physiology, and neurobiology of beer, wine, and alcohol in Rome next January. Uh, we've taught this to non-majors where they're making pasta and doing the, you see they're taking pictures of their pasta, so that's meta when I'm taking a picture of them, so it's meta-meta of their pasta that they made. But it's really, again, it's engaging watching these kids who are business majors, history majors, who don't want to be in the effing science class, why do I have to freaking be there? But when they're done, they got to apply it, and it's really an enjoyable thing. You know, we've got this book, and we're going to make big money, and yeah, no. My students are so glad to show me they can get the book for free or they found it used. I'm still poor. <laughs> so what does an educating, education award winner look like? It's super professor. Well, I don't know about that. Is it rate? No, don't read the rate my professor. This is what an award-winning educating professor looks like a group of faculty who are working together to help each other out so we can be better ourselves, again, for the students. Maybe it's like this. Two years ago, when we couldn't have ASBNB, a bunch of the folks in this room said we miss each other so much that we had a Zoom. Now we would not want to do that, right, after two years of Zooming. Look how happy we are. There's Barbara. She's drinking. That had nothing to do with the dog. We were happy because we were a community and we got back together, right? And again, more like this. I took this picture and I was giving a something. Some of these people are done with graduate school now. But this is that web or the Facebook group that Pam talked about, and a lot of you are in. It's a closed private Facebook. If you want to get in, let me know. We talk about stuff, we talk about jobs, we ask questions about teaching, research, learning, mentoring students. It's, it's a great place. It's another place to be community, to help each other so we can be really strong for our students or last night when we were at the bar when I was getting ready to finish the talk. <laughs> we create a sense of community, and why is that important? It's important because, well, there's actually a, a good chunk of psychology understanding of how that helps to decrease depression, make you that sense of belonging, gets rid of loneliness and others. The things we've all been experiencing, and our students have too. When we came here, everybody wanted to touch, hug, or at least get within 
that, that Van der Waal contact radii of six feet of each other, right? Because we wanted that belonging. And it wasn't just because we needed friends, because we need that mentor, that help, that connection that makes us stronger individuals as faculty, as researchers, as teachers, all right? And how we become better as a community, it's because it's ultimately for the students. And again, that's what I really love about being a teacher, being about a PUI, pri primarily undergraduate institution. All right, yeah, so yes, we took, <laughs> I stole pictures from last night. So part of the problem is how do you do that? How do you become part of a community, right? You gotta take time from a never-ending to-do list to connect with others, but why do we do it we, so we can share? Some of it's just sharing, some of it's more formal, but it's the ability to give and take and learn from each other. Um, I was able to slip an education article into the JBC because every award winner gets to have an article, so it's all about cures and what that connection is. So part of that is here is, it, I think we're like a jazz musician. I was a, I was a music major in college for a while too. Uh, um, although the drummer is the person who hangs out with musicians, right? Anyway, um, so we're like jazz musicians. We take pieces from each other. You did this, you did that. Oh, this didn't work when I did this, but I did, the students did this. And how did you do it? You take this and you make it yourself. That's what jazz musicians do, and that's what I think good instructors do. And it comes from this network of colleagues. So how do you do that? In a time where all of our efforts are in competition for home, for our kids, for our private lives, for that work-life balance, uh, if you find that, let me know. Um, how do you do that? Well, you have to participate. You have to contribute eventually. You don't have to contribute right away, but you have to be there to make that connection. So that way, someone like Ellis will email you and say, hey, you seem to be responsive at this PCAL meeting. Would you be willing to do this? And you go, yes, right away. Thank you very much. I don't know what I'm doing. Right? And I think I still do that, Ellis. He says, would you like? And I say, okay, because it's good ideas. All right? You represent. So. Um, we talked about the ACS. So I'm on, I've been on seven years, I've been on the ACS Committee for Professional um, Training where they look at who's accredited, who's not, and more importantly, start looking at how that happens. When we started the accreditation for uh, ASBNB, we said we don't want to be like the ACS because it's very structured, it's very laddered, we've got to take this plus this, you have to have all these things. And right now, you know, we thought, how do we get past the ACS, right? That's what everybody knows, they're branded so well. But now, and it's not just because I'm on that committee, but people are looking and saying, we need to be more like what the ASBMB does. It helps make flexibility so we can teach our students the way we want to, rather than having this list of classes. And so by representing, we help our students so we can get them more resources, all right? Um, you can lead and eventually maybe make a change. Project Kaleidoscope has the a STEM um, Leadership Institute. If you're interested in, in this at all levels, any sciences, it's an amazing week-long experience. I've mentored three or four times on this. It's draining, it makes you question things, it really makes you evaluate, and everybody that goes through there comes out of a stronger person. There's almost always some tears going on, but you learn how to be a better leader. So you get this sense of community by giving back, by contributing and making these changes. And there's lots of different ways. Um, as a PY, if you can get on an NSF or NIH panel, you're there to represent. 
right? Because if you're one person that's a PUI and, and it's all R1s, God bless them, when they see an R15 or an, an undergraduate institution, you have to be there to help them. So you advocate. That's how we help our community. And we all do these in different ways. And there's a couple of other organizations, um, you know, Sabre and BCCE. Get involved in some way. Kerr is wonderful. And of course, ASBMB has done so many things for undergraduate education and faculty, student chapters, uh, in ways that I'm really proud of that so many of us uh, are able to make this place to learn. So a, a, several years ago, there was a small meeting and again, I think Ellis was one of the folks that got the small education meeting started. This is getting to be kind of a repeated thing. Ellis, come up and get another award. Um, and Erin Dolan stepped up and started talking about a scholarly approach to teaching. She did not create that, but she's another award winner. But she opened up a lot of eyes, and I went, that made sense. Because what she was talking about is, how would you do research if you said, well, I'm not going to read the literature? I'm going to do my grant, my paper, all my experiments, kind of off the top of my head based on what I did 10 years ago or what my boss taught me. We know that would not fly. So why do we teach that way? There is a whole set of literature that tells us how people think, how people learn, how to teach. That's the scholarly approach to teaching, which is a little different um, than discipline uh, discipline-based education research, or DBERS, these are folks who understand the mechanisms of how students learn, whereas the scholarly teaching and learning approach is how um, you use that kind of information to teach. Did I get that right, more or less? There are experts among us, these DBER folks, that are helping us learn as educators. By being part of this community, you should take that aspect of your career seriously, so now I'm being preachy, right? They're telling us where students' eyes go when they look at a textbook or a computer screen. Kristen, if you're out there, and some of the others that do these things. We should, as educators, use as much of that as possible. It's not about doing a GCHEM Ed or a BAM Ed article about how you did a lab, which is important. But learning how the students learn so you can be better at it is critical. And I've learned, and I don't do as much as I could. Sometimes it's way easier to stand and deliver, right? Because then you put it done, you drop the mic, you walk home, and Everybody claps, right? No. But they ask you to do the hard things and they help you why. So I think it's important that we take advantage of their stuff. Again, they're helping us with our culture. I've used it a lot and not as much as I think I could even. So that leads us into the thing we've been hearing now a lot. So cures, how to integrate research into our classrooms. Because there's a lot of literature out there that shows that undergraduate research is at high impact practice, where students get, they, they retain better, they get better grit, they have better identity, all these wonderful outcomes so that they stay with it longer. There's literature that's coming out and literature that has been out for a long time that at-risk populations really benefit from this. And why is that important? Because Right now, depending upon where you look at, it's 33 or so to 52% in the literature retention rate for students, and it's lower for underrepresented groups. That's a horrible rate. Hi, 33% of you are going to graduate, right? They may all come to us as pre-meds, but they need to... That's a horrible retention. So how can we do that? How can we help all these groups? Well, I... In, Integrating research is a big part of it. So the confessional report for the chaos of the first year, that's a prompt for me. When I first 
started my teaching gig. I was at Vanderbilt. Um, I had job offers at Duke and, and Wake Forest and NIH and things like this. And my wife wanted to, to go back home. She was tired of being in Nashville. And she had been in Alabama with me for a while in the Army. So we went back to Minnesota. It was a total undergraduate university. It was me. There was another biochemist who did not want to do any biochemistry anymore. And I was afraid to ask anybody, so I was alone. So what did I do when I did started a biochemistry lab? I asked, do you have some little materials? No, do what you want, which was, she tried to be nice, but in the, the whole time I'm going, what the hell is, what do I want in my first year of teaching a biochem lab, right? Marlene had a book out there. I started looking at how do I do? So I said, all right, you know, I'm gonna do research. Everybody pick a research project. Holy crap. That was a The kids loved it. I don't know what they learned. I went crazy because everybody did a different project. I had no money for it. I was paying money out of my own pocket. And eventually I started working on this and I bumped into different people that are here. Um, people like Ellis again. Hi, Ellis. Um, and, and learn that if you can integrate research, but it wasn't my research. I showed you what my research was. When I, when I left uh, Vanderbilt, I was gonna do more phospholipase D stuff, right? Radioactive, you're not doing that in an undergraduate lab. So what do you do? You come up with a project that you can, in, they give them something that was unknown. So it started with inquiry, now it's turned into a cure, real research where we don't know the answer, it's meaningful, all right? And so, you know, again, back to the community, if you do that by yourself, eventually you're gonna burn out. So it's better to do it as a community where you're su supported, where it's sustainable, where we have fun with this, fun with the students and fun with other faculty so you can ask what's going on, you can get help, right? It all helps the students with all these really wonderful outcomes. There's a lot of systems supported by or, um, um, cures out there, and a lot of them started with the GEP and things like this and C-phages, which were mostly micro and molecular based. And there was a real need for a protein, molecular biology, biochemistry-ish kind of a thing. A lot of them are shared in CureNet. And then there's a group that's been around for a while, Basil, right, where they have a really amazing set of biochemistry cure and inquiry projects there. It's a powerful group of people, really well supported. So if you want to do a cure, Basil's there. Look at CureNet, get a bunch. And there's another new one here that's CRISPR in the network. They just got an NSF grant recently, and they're going to bring in Cures doing CRISPR. So go ahead and take a picture of that if you want uh, and find them or just do CRISPR in the classroom or email me later on or Basil. And I think they're both uh, linked off of, um, I know at least Basil is off of CureNet, right? Lots of opportunities. Oh, as long as you get your cameras up. <laughs> Another one, surprise, is this melee dehydrogenase cures community. So I did um, melee dehydrogenase and a bunch of other protein interactions as a postdoc by getting previously living rabbit livers and purifying their proteins. No his tags were involved in this, just late nights scaring the janitors when you come in to change the fraction collector because your PI wouldn't get a bigger fraction collector. So at two in the morning, you had to change out because the ion exchanger had, you know, 2,000 frickin' test tubes. So I was doing that, um, Jess Bell and Ellis and a bunch of others, and we started working and we, we published work on, one of my undergraduates says, well, why don't you, instead of doing MDH with the his tag, eventually we cloned it over, why don't you put GFP on it too so we can see it easier? And I said, oh, that, won't, that might be kind of a cool idea. Again, out of the mouth of babes. And it worked, and that was inquiry. And then we turned that into research, and then it kind of, then we got together and we have now uh, four folks between two different grants 
to create and ask some questions about what, is, what are the learning outcomes, what are the pedagogical impacts of doing these kind of protein-based cures. Uh, Jess Bell, uh, Ellis Bell and I uh, started this uh, with an IUS grant that we're just finishing off now. And then Amy, Jess, uh, Lisa and I um, are in the first year of, a, of an RCN UBE where we're gonna expand that network. All right, and, and what this is about, this MCC, is to really, to, it's about community again. So when your protein doesn't work, you can call somebody and ask, what happened? We heard a whole bunch of this in the earlier session. It was amazing, all right? Um, we have pedagogical work. We ask pedagogical questions, and I'll talk about that a little bit at the end. And we have a website that's developed, and we're, we're populating it with, with all sorts of supporting material. So who's important in this? Again, it's the community. It started with a small group of faculty. Again, I'm making you jealous in San Diego. My San Diegan students are here, and they're freezing to death here. <laughs> 50 degrees, people. But you know, it's way more than that than we could ever count. I, I, I don't even want to list it off because for fear I'll miss somebody. And I know of a few people over this meeting that want to join us. But it's this community that makes this whole cure thing work well. So what is the MDH cures or MCC cures community? It's about maleic dehydrogenase, an easy to work with enzyme. It's pretty darn stable. It's a cheap enzyme to study, right? You need a spectrometer that can work at 340. You can do all sorts of research on it that's unknown. We have, through the first grant, created 22, 23 wild-type MDHs that diverge greatly so you can look at things that are only active until they're like three molar sodium chloride, things that are cold stable, things that are heat stable, mammalian, yeast, plant, all sorts of things. Questions, scientific questions that aren't there so you can make a sustainable cure, right? Uh, we have these clones, we're working with companies to do this, we have projects lined up, um, and we have groups of people doing this, and we have over, uh, I want to say, 100 or so mutations, especially around the watermelon um, MDH, where faculty have done it, we've validated it, and then you can have no whole library of mutations, kind of like an old chef show where you go, you put the cake in the oven and hey, it's done, here's your mutation. But you still have a whole hypothesis that drives this. So some of the things we have are listed here, and I don't want to go over the list, but we have human, we have yeast, plant, we have extremophiles, bacterium, uh, we have a bunch of parasites, more things are coming. We have what we call support clones, so if you're interested in interacting with citrate synthase, fumarase, Pepsi-K, uh, aspartic transaminase or any of the other dozen names that thing has. The students now like GOT because winter is coming. Uh, and malic enzyme, a lot of these interact with MDH in one place or another. And then we have a ton of uh, validated site-directed mutants. And we're working with um, companies to make these uh, easy uh, and uh, quickly to get. So what can you do with these? Well, there's a lot of different research projects that you can bring into your cure uh, by looking at specificity, regulation, allosterism. Uh, you can look at subunit interactions, disease. There's posters today and tomorrow on this interaction in metabolons uh, just over and over again. We, will, we provide for the folks that are in this group background reading uh, and more and more. So the, part of the problem with doing a cure like this, if you're doing... X for research and you're teaching, how do you have time to learn the science of something else to be able to teach it? Well, that's what we're trying to, that's what we're providing for you and that's what the community is for as well. Uh, we have the clones I talked about, we have protocols and assays, materials lists, and that's all growing and, and background with 
you know, publication links and fleshed out ideas for a lot of these areas for folks to say, oh, I want to try something new. I want to work on this heat soluble or heat stable thing and what happens if I make it start swapping out domains with uh, something else, right? You know, hypothesis driven, not a fishing expedition. I just made it sound like a fishing expedition. So one of the things we're really proud of that we're starting this summer is, or starting now as the summer is the um, MCC Fellows Program. So for folks that are interested in being part of this inclusive community um, and that want to uh, have access to the materials, be mentored, maybe do the mentoring, um, we, you, you can be an uh, MDH, CARES Community Fellow, right? Um, there's other projects that are spinning off of this that are related to this that are going to be used there too. It's amazing. Um, this summer, um, Lisa, Amy, Ellis, and I are running our first workshop for a, a faculty fellows cohort. So we've got funding to bring faculty in. Faculty haven't done MDH cures before, want to learn about them, want to be mentored, want to, and we have, we have funding to bring them to San Diego this year. Uh, we'll do a little bit of virtual, then some um, in-person time. Um, they can get the clones, learn how to do this stuff. We're gonna mentor them on how to be faculty as well as how to do these cures. And we're gonna ask them later on to help the next generation, uh, which would be the next summer. All right, so if you're interested in that, there's still time. Um, it's not an elaborate process. Um, if you look at that link that I shared earlier on the QR, there's a faculty fellows. If we haven't reached out and touched you, if you've been involved in MDH in one way or another, we will find you like the Borg and assimilate you and give you a QR and, and let you be a fellow. So what have we learned? There's, you know, we have learned a lot. And you know, this is a poster that our colleagues, we've got three or four papers that are, um, that are about to be submitted or are pending right now, looking at the outcomes of how long do you do a cure? What happens if you do a cure in a half a semester, a whole semester at a community college, at a, at a PUI, at an R1? Um, what happens to the different populations within those? And then also collaboration. Collaboration not within the classroom, but between institutions, maybe with faculty. Not, we heard Kevin talk about that yesterday morning. So I'm, and, and we saw some amazing things. And overall, one of the, I think the biggest things is Cures, of course, has lots of positive outcomes. That's not new, but we see it here. And it's, there's a dosage effect as well. But what really is interesting that even at a smaller dosage, those underrepresented minority students had a bigger impact. So in other words, getting them involved in a cure, even if it's a, a part semester cure, they had uh, all, a lot of the positive outcomes you hope for students that get to see research. This may not take the place of research, but the reason people are doing cures is because we're seeing that it's helping students in many, many ways. And it's helping populations that we want to help to increase and retain the kind of diversity we want to see with our future population. My phone keeps telling me, one, that we're out of time and that I'm supposed to be on the ice in an hour. My group on the right-hand side is a veterans hockey group and the side on the left is a 15 older hockey group so I have to at least throw props to my my brothers in hockey skates because I won't be there tonight I've skipped my own kids concerts to play hockey how many times can you hear a squeaky violin in a seventh grader <laughs> so it takes time and practice and I just want to leave you with this I'm up here getting the sword Pam said all these wonderful things about me some of them might be true 
didn't start out that way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with a story. My first test, I was so proud of my first Biochem 1 test. I thought it was clever. I didn't know about Bloom's taxonomy. I didn't understand critical thinking. But I asked some real, Vanderbilt would have been proud of me. I gave the test. And of course, it was like at the last second it was getting finished up. The thing was still hot as I passed it out. I worked a long time on this, but I kept falling asleep because it was overnight. So I gave the test, and I'm sitting in front of this classroom, and the first student gets up to leave, and her name was Stacy Blord, and I still remember this from 30 years ago. And as she turned the test in, she was walking out, and what did idiot Joe do? Stacy, Stacy, what, what did you think about the test? Oh, dear Jesus, that was the wrong thing. That was the dumbest thing, and you're never going to let me get into medical school. It's trivia. It was hard. It was. It was a horrible test. And she screamed this in front of the whole classroom, and all my peer faculty members heard her yelling at me on my first test on how bad it was. If I could survive that, you guys can too. The worst part of it all was I got back to my lab, and I was thinking, okay, I got this. I got to go teach organic lab. How do you recrystallize stuff? I better go look that up. Ding, ding, ding. And then I get a phone call. Across campus comes the most popular uh, biology professor on campus, and I keep hearing, you should be as good as Dr. Wallert. <laughs> Sorry, he is now my friend. And it's Dr. Wallert. I barely met this guy before, right? We're not partners yet. You know, it's literally only a couple months into being there. And what does Mark do? He says, oh, the students are over here. They're telling us you just killed them on the test. Good job. <laughs> and I became friends with that. If I can survive that and somehow stand up here exactly where Susan Taylor was earlier today, anybody can do it, all right? I have a great faculty now at University of San Diego, um, faculty, staff. Some of the students in this picture are here, Brandon, Stephen, uh, Taylor Cress. There's a bunch of students here. These, those folks are in grad school and, and, and moved on. I've got students here. Uh, I couldn't be happier if you find a place where it's kind of surprising they pay you to do what you love, then you win. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this lecture. It was recorded in April 2022 in Philadelphia at the ASBMB annual meeting, held in conjunction for the final time with the Experimental Biology Conference. In 2023, the ASBNB annual meeting will be held in Seattle. Learn more at discoverbnb.asbnb.org.